0: Welcome to the podcast. that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hi everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and we are going to answer some of your cycling and triathlon related questions today that you've submitted. You can do so at trainer slash podcast. Thank you to everybody that submits those questions. We get a ton of them. Uh, it's tough to keep up with all of them that we get. Uh, and I wish that we could answer every one of them, but we're only so many humans. So, uh, but, but three, yeah, three, this is correct. <laughs> you can count it, <laughs> uh, before we get into that. Uh, something that uh well actually and before you even mention the facebook beta group Nate, this is something that i just wanted to 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 touch on have you made any bike fit adjustments even though you, you don't have your tt bike we talked about this last week we oh, yeah. went and got tt bike fits because we're working toward we're, we're trying to to be the fastest time trialist we can be and we're sharing everything that we learn with you guys along that way i've made some bike adjustments to my road bike to reflect it's not in my tt position but get kind of closer have you
1: yeah, I made some – so I, when I took my saddle off because I brought it down to the fitting, mm-hmm. I didn't mark where it was supposed to be. Mm. And then I tried moving it, like, forward and up yeah. based on some measurements. But I spent the last week just every workout in the middle stopping, mm. moving a millimeter, moving a millimeter because yeah. it was perfect before for, like, at least for power generation on my road bike. Yeah. And I didn't even use I – I didn't even, like, do the exact measurements that Dan did. I was just like, I'm going to try it forward and, yeah. you know, up and forward. Yeah. And I just – it was – I should have just left it the way it was or right. done like, you know, gotten a level and been like, this is the exact position. Cause yeah. I, for me, millimeters really matter. Oh yeah. Like, I, I can think feel they do. Them.
0: And I, and it's funny, you mentioned like that little millimeter by millimeter change, it's so easy to find yourself a year down the road. You'll be like, whoa, I'm two inches off, like three inches off, you know, like, cause mm-hmm. you make that little change and then for some reason it feels better in that moment, but it's probably false attribution. And then we end up just, you know, keep going. My bike fit is evidence of that. It had strayed from what it once was. And I actually made the adjustments to reflect because we did get road bike fits too, and Mm -hmm. in terms of the saddle to bottom bracket position, it's very similar to what I have on the TT bike. So I made that, that change and oh man, it feels good. Okay, It feels great. It feels so much better. So I'm one problem that I've had, and I don't think that this solves the, the constant knee issues that I always battle or anything else, but. One problem that I've had is when I'm pedaling in the position that I was, and I wasn't far set back. In fact, I was pretty close to the bottom bracket compared to most folks, Hmm. but it was really difficult for me to use my glutes and hamstrings as effectively as using my, my quadriceps. Mm -hmm. And in this position, it's so much easier to do that. I don't have to be like constantly thinking of it. It's just happening. So it's pretty awesome stuff.
1: So how did you move your bike? Because what Dan did is he had a uh, he had a level mm-hmm. which we need a big level here we mm-hmm. do and we need a big straight edge here yes we do um, or yeah the straight edge because you need the millimeters and the yeah. like a metric you can straight get edge a
0: straight edge level with that's, millimeters that's, that's what we need yeah Jonathan right. you're a genius <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so but we need two of those actually yes we do because you need to be able to do a yep, square exactly so, so how did you do that without those tools
0: yeah, yeah so when I looked at where he was measuring he measured. Uh, so, I, I used a ruler and then I used a tape measure. And then I counted on the tape measure being straight. I counted on the ruler being straight and that having the measurements that I needed. So, what I needed to do was move my saddle. It was 745 millimeters vertically from the bottom bracket to the point where you sit on the saddle, basically, mm-hmm. is what he measured. So, I measured that length. And then, thereafter, what I had to do was then I moved the saddle forward because it had to be, f- I think it was uh, 112 centimeters or 101 centimeters, something like that behind or millimeters behind the bottom bracket was the front part of the rails of my saddle. So that's where I measured on those reference points.
1: I just saw Chad's eyes glaze over probably a lot of people. Yeah. It's hard to talk about a while ago. And that's (laughs) the thing.
0: The thing about this is, and I want to get across is just because we've moved our saddles forward and up or something like that does not mean that that's what you should do. But what I'm getting at is I feel good in a, Relative TT position now.
1: Okay, here's my pro tip. What I saw Dan do is he measured from the tip of the nose. So okay, let me step back. Getting your saddle height, you always have to figure out where you measure your like from the bottom bracket, and you always do it from the bottom bracket mm-hmm. to. Well, you, you could do it from the pedal too, if, if whatever.
0: Pedals tricky. Bottom yeah, bracket best.
1: Yeah, bottom bracket to. Usually it's the center of the saddle. Contact
2: uh-huh. points. Yeah, where your yeah. sit bones yeah. I assume, yeah.
1: But where, so. It's I've heard different, right? Mm. It depends on where you measure it to get the right accurate measurement. Mm. And if you change saddles, that position could change too. Yeah. Like so,
0: you, for example, have the Specialized Power Saddle. It doesn't have a nose on it. If you have a saddle that has a long nose and your reference point is the front of the saddle, who knows where you're actually placing that saddle in relation yeah, to your sit bone.
2: So
1: here's the pro tip. I, um, I, I saw Dan measure it, but I want to actually kind of like lightly scar my saddle mm-hmm. to the point where I'm always going to... Score. Score, yeah. What I say, scar. scar. Yeah. It's gonna kind of like a scar. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> I'm gonna score it, and it's gonna have a scar, <laughs> so that I can always measure the exact same point. Smart. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing, if I change saddles, what I saw Dan do is he lined them up to be like, okay, you sit on the power this way, and you sit on this saddle this way. So that means uh, we really have to then. Like this point is going to be like he 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 measured the difference mm-hmm. that was actually from tip of the saddle to my handlebars, mm-hmm. but you could just take that into account. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, if you switch saddles where you sit differently, you'll want to then score it in a different spot so mm-hmm. you can measure the same way. Because yes. I've I've done that where on you know, my other bikes I do it. I'm like, uh as as you move it like just a little bit, oh, it, yeah. totally mm-hmm. it totally changes. Like, totally does. Uh, like a especially two if three it's millimeters. A big deal. All especially. the back
2: pain I was having. I brought my saddle forward maybe. Centimeter, two centimeters helped a lot. That's it. That's it. I, it hasn't recurred. So, but don't
1: change it if you're just fine. Yeah. I think people will be. I
0: think the point is a solid bike fit really helps. That's what we're getting at. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, exciting stuff that we're getting close to that TT stuff. Um, but Nate, you have a couple things that you wanted. To, well, something you wanted to mention. Yep. Trainer Road has
1: a uh, Facebook beta group. It's called Trainer Road. What is it? Facebook. I think it's trainer of trainer beta. Beta, trainer beta testers. testers. Trainer of beta testers. So if you search for that, or you look on our page, you can join it. We have to approve you, but we approve everybody. And in there are product managers, um, and the we we go in there, and all the new stuff that we have coming out that's not released to the masses is going to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have something in there already right now. The new thing that we're gonna we're talking about will be released in there soon. And you'll get pretty much if you want early access to our latest stuff. But you are okay if you know you want to give us feedback. Um, there could be bugs that you wouldn't experience in production. If you want to be a early beta tester, join that group.
0: Yeah. Early beta tester. It's exciting to get early access to stuff, but you have to keep in mind that it's not production yet. So things can happen and that's just how it goes. So yeah.
1: And it's just, if you have ever used the internet, things in beta (laughs) aren't always the best, so, but I mean, we try the best to make them the best. Of course we do. Uh,
0: we got, and they will be the best. (laughs) We got DEXA scans recently. And the point for that is kind of establishing a baseline as we start our TT training. Uh, Nate, you did the opposite, I think, of Chad and I in the sense that you're in like a record position, aren't you?
1: You mean I got skinnier?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like your body fat's low, your lean mass is high.
1: Yeah, I'm all... So f- first, a DEXA scan is a body fat scan. Mm-hmm. And the DEXA is a it's a dual X-ray scan. You lay down on this mat. It's the gold standard of... Uh, on a table, actually. It's a gold standard of... Measuring the body fat and body also com- body composition. Body composition. It also measures uh, the weight of your bones and how much lean mass you carry. And it's body um, composition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I know, but yeah. if you say body composition, people might not know. Yeah. Oh,
2: no. I appreciate the Thank explanation. You. Thank Thanks. you, Coach Chad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, All day long, people. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. <laughs> um, so we've been doing it over actually two years now. Mm-hmm. We've been doing it a lot, and I started out uh, relatively. I call myself skinny fat before. Mm-hmm. I didn't look. Yeah, yeah, you weren't as as bad, but I okay. I was high. And another thing to know about is DEXA scans, your body fat percentage is much higher than what you would see on like fat calipers.
0: Usually double. Is I, what I we've not, seen. I maybe it's not
1: a big quite number. double, but a oh, lot. we we've seen Just if you
0: look at the data for all of us, all three of us, it's nearly double in every single case. So, well, when I was at 24%
1: body that. fat, my calipers were not saying 12. No. They were staying, saying that. No, I think they were saying like 16 or something. Okay. Got gotcha. you. But anyways, it's- um, Substantially higher. Yeah. And if you want to see the difference, because you're not going to see us with our shirts off, but- <laughs> It's like, no way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just Google online, go uh, Dexa body fat or something, and you'll see people. You'll be like, that guy's ripped. And it'll be at like 15% body fat on Dexa. Yeah. And you'll be like, what? And it'll blow your mind. Because you think that guy is 8%. And they'll even say, I'm 8% calipers, 15% yep. on Dexa. So, yeah. So-
0: mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I think that something that all of, or that all of us, or I'll actually I'll just speak for myself here coming into the spot where I am, I haven't been training quite as much because of the knee thing got that taking or I'm getting that that's pretty much, I would say taking care of at this point, I'm doing much better with it, but. Um, haven't been training as much. Winter time, comfort food, holiday food, everything else. We're
2: kind of where we should be. Nate's quite a bit ahead of the game right now.
0: Yeah, Nate's Nate's far ahead. So
2: Just try to get in my my brain.
0: Yeah, because I'm at thirteen seven right now. Nate's 13, for Mark Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna collapse after that. But he, uh, thirteen six is where I'm at right now, and I think the best I've been with Cal with Dex is eleven percent uh, with that. So. Um, I can expect to tip down in race season to get all the way down there. That's, that's going to be, that's expected for me to, to drop down to that point, but it's going to be interesting to see how that changes, if it changes and at what rate it changes with TT training. Cause I've never done mm. sustained TT training versus I've always sticker. done more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stochastic stuff where it's like, you know, on, off, on, off. So. And those those workouts are big burners in terms of the ones where you're doing these long, sustained intervals. Huge,
2: which is why Nate's looking the way Nate's looking. He's doing a ton of work. Whoa. He's also eating a ton of quality carbohydrate, yeah. and everything's yeah. trending positively. So before we talk about me... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jonathan, you were at thirteen point seven percent DEXA mm-hmm. and um, fat calipers, mm-hmm. body. You know, uh, actually, are they called fat calipers? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Six point two. I'm all messed up now. Yeah, like, I'm just looking two. to Chad. Sorry, my fingers are in his head. Six point two. Yeah. So that's so he's at six point two, and then his DEXA is thirteen point seven. Just to show you how crazy yeah. that is.
0: So, like, if you have heard of uh, traditional body fat measurements, it's that's usually you can consider those to be caliper test yeah. results. So, and uh, subcutaneous
2: so, fat only.
1: Yep. Yes. And then the Dexa does intermuscular,
2: which is like if you're a ribeye or sirloin and visceral <laughs> fat. And as endurance athletes, that's a very real concern. It I is. Mean, it's a desirable thing mm-hmm. to be sirloin, right? Mm-hmm. Not no, ribeye. no, to have some intramuscular trigly- triglyceride stores really that's a desirable, it's a usable fuel source. Uh-huh. That makes yeah. sense. And then, uh, fast vis- action visceral fat, which is, that's like, it's a really
1: thick, yellow fat that goes around your organs and that's the kind of fat that kills you yeah it's not helpful to anybody yeah. not good you, you don't want it that's when you see um older men get a lot when they have the big belly and it's like <laughs> yeah. rock hard you mm-hmm. touch yeah. it and you're like
2: wow that is hard it's hugely <laughs> unhealthy
0: yeah. yeah yeah not good
2: um so chad you want to talk about yours uh, not much to say. I'm exactly where I was at this time last year. So last January, my body fat Dexa, and that's all I've done. So I don't have all the information these guys have is uh, back up to 17%. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Tanita scale bears everything out just as it would. It, um, I'm right about 11, a little over 11. So it's all it's all right back to where I was. The The one thing that's <clears throat> been surprisingly encouraging is that I'm fat and it isn't due to the fact that I'm putting on muscle in the gym because taking off muscle is a lot harder than taking off fat and I like lifting. So I don't like the idea that I'm gonna bulk up to the point where I have to get new clothes, new kit, all that stuff. And that I'm gonna be a bigger athlete. I do like the idea that I've gotten stronger, haven't added mass, all my weight gain is fat, which means I can reverse it
1: pretty easily. That's great. And so before when you were 17%, your fat calipers were 10%. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sounds about
2: right.
1: So, oh, and actually too, you can see us. If you go to, uh, if you're on Facebook, you can watch us live. And you're probably already doing that because you're watching us live, but we are also putting these on YouTube. Yeah. So if you want to see, um, how fat we are, point of reference. Yeah. So yep. yeah, reference. cause that's the point of it, right? You look at Chad's guns right there. <laughs> he doesn't look like 17%, <laughs> 10% <laughs> of looks good.
0: So, something I want to get across too, is that this reinforces, I know that we're really hard on ourselves as cyclists and triathletes, especially because it's, we always talk about power to weight. Um, it don't get so hard on yourself. If you have crept up in weight or crept up in body fat over yeah, the winter, it's part of the cycle. And That's I see a lot of people accepted. that are yeah, really hard on themselves for that. And I think yeah. it's detrimental. Like, I mean, don't, don't keep, get keep, me wrong. Keep
2: it reined in. We're not yeah. saying go crazy, but mm-hmm. if if you bump up a few percentage, add, you know, three or four pounds of fat, it is not the end of the world. And frankly, it's, it's kind of a healthy way to go. Give yourself some downtime, let yourself have some slack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing that I would recommend for a lot of folks. So um, Nate,
1: let's talk about me, guys. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, so now I am at twelve point eight percent. Lowest you've been. Lowest I've been. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Jonathan, what were you at?
0: Oh, uh, now thirteen point seven. Woo! <laughs> That's the first time I've ever been the skinniest Relish guy on the it. podcast yeah, yeah. ever.
1: In the last two years, we've done that. So I'm super happy about it's a that. Big day for you, Nate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's
0: good. It's awesome.
1: It is. So there's mm-hmm. two things. out. W- first, I want to go over my numbers, and I want to say something higher level, and then what I did. I'm 187 pounds. I'm six foot six. And I'm sorry for the people. Like, we mention some of these things over and over because we get actually a lot of new listeners. Yeah. And it gives people context that I'm, if I say 187 pounds and I don't say I'm tall. So, yeah. I know it's a big joke, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, 12.8, I lost between the last four months, I lost two pounds of fat and gained three and a third pounds or three and a quarter pounds of muscle. And that's a really cool thing about the DEXA scan is that sometimes you get a, a small move in body weight. Yeah. But if you add muscle and lose fat, your whole life's better.
0: I look at it like a scale and then you're measuring coins. Like if you were to like throw a bunch of coins onto a scale and all of them were silver dollars, but then you did the same weight in pennies. You know what I mean? Like it's- Well, in this this case, I mean,
2: Nate would have gained a pound. That could be pretty discouraging, but he knows he actually lost two pounds of fat, gained three Mm -hmm. pounds plus of muscle. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then there was another
1: time too, earlier on when I was fatter, I lost eight pounds of fat and gained four pounds of muscle which is in terms of like body composition, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But if I, I did all that work and I only lost four pounds, yeah. I could get in my head.
0: Yeah. Can I and, throw a disclaimer on that really yeah. quick? When you say fatter, what we're talking about is relative. Because all all I can us. see a lot of people like getting upset when they hear None that. None of us
2: consider ourselves no, fat. Not, no. not the- oh, yeah. So,
0: so it's, it's, it's relative. Nate's I was heavier. That when, he had, when he had more fat well, you're, body you're fat. You were carrying so.
2: more body fat, so mm-hmm. that's, that's all we
0: need. And, and also if uh, men to women – different scales to, uh, women usually carry sure. more body fat and that may not even be visibly apparent. It may not even reflect itself in terms of performance. It's just the way that we're made. Um, and lower body fat is not necessarily a good thing, especially when you're getting into like to a point, you know, it can be yeah,
1: bad. Then you're, you're, you actually do less. And I think mm-hmm. my, I've gained a little bit more muscle mass and actually my power and my power to weight have gone up. There we go. I think I'm, I'm actually, I've talked about this before, but I'm gonna still try to gain a little bit more weight mm-hmm. uh, leaning up to a 40 TT since it's flat and it's sure. not gonna matter, get mm-hmm. more power. Over the last two years, I've lost 22 and a half pounds of fat and I've gained 10 pounds of muscle. <laughs> Again, DEXA is cool. Mm-hmm. And in Reno too, to do the DEXA, we don't even have to have a doctor's note. We can just schedule it and do it and it costs $50. Um, and then I've gained 93 Watts on my FTP That's over crazy. two years. And that's with the broken collarbone. And I had that surgery that knocked me out for a while. It's awesome. So I went from 252 to 345. So I just want to say training works.
2: Yeah. No, there's works. Some encouraging statistics right there. Uh,
1: training road works. <laughs> yeah, it does. Proof <laughs> in the pudding right there. Proper diet
2: works. Yeah. The, so another thing recently
1: that I've changed, and you guys have seen me this because I just kind of show you all my food all the time. <laughs> Very long regularly, yep. long time Popeye or long time podcast listeners, listeners <laughs> will know that before I'd, I'd had some Popeyes and that was more of a joke. I I really haven't had Popeyes since the last time we mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you eat clean seven or eight months ago. Really, my whole diet. I've I read that endurance diet by Matt mm-hmm. Fitzgerald changed my life. I'm totally carb centric, um, totally plant uh, like. Uh, veggie and fruit is the basis for all of my meals, then kind of whole grain stuff, try to stay away from all um, processed grains. I still do like cheat stuff Mm -hmm. once in a while. It was someone's birthday yesterday, had a little bit of a donut, but my lunches will be a big sweet potato with beans on it and a huge salad. And then maybe if I'm still hungry, some bell peppers and carrots. So when I say high carb, like this is what
0: Carbs think, usually are equivalent. Like everyone just thinks pasta. Yeah, well, you know. Rice. And I'm doing whole wheat
1: pasta with some tomato sauce on it. But that's the carbs have a really bad name, right? Yeah. And there's a difference between me getting all these carbs through Coca-Cola, yeah, and eating the donuts and French fries, mm-hmm. than eating sweet potatoes, carrots, green beans, blueberries, yep. beets, raspberries, uh, tomatoes. Like all those things have a lot
2: of yeah, carbs. All in, different qualities of carbohydrate and you're, Mm -hmm. you've shifted your balance from low, low quality to high quality all at once. For those I have not been trying. So listening back to,
1: I've, I counted all my calories, like every single thing. And you guys saw me, I weighed it. I bring weights to restaurants and do it. Yeah. Yeah. And really the best I felt and the easiest has just been eating mostly fruits and vegetables as my main meal source. Mm -hmm. I'm not hungry. I'm actually the opposite is I'll have big workouts that come up. And I'll just be stuffing myself. I'm like, I can't eat any more beans and yeah. trying to get it in. Yeah. Um, just because my workouts, I then perform a lot better too. So not only is my body composition better and I'm not hungry, but I am performing better too at the same time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it sounds, it's not very sexy, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, just <laughs> eat, eat lots of
1: vegetables. Yeah. Like in the morning I have a Ezekiel cereal, which is like this sprouted grain cereal yeah. With low-fat milk and berries, and then after that, I'll probably, I'll have some carrots or some green beans that are just raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll have that big lunch I talked about. It's really simple. Yeah, it's simple matters. stuff. And the other thing I've noticed is if you do this for a while, I'll like steal a bite of my son's McDonald's hamburger, and it tastes disgusting. Yeah, I used to love McDonald's, yeah. but now yeah. that that stuff that's really like that is like I. Last time I had Popeye's, it was disgusting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Probably everyone else knows, knew that, but me, (laughs) but anyways, (laughs) I just want to say that, uh, part of it's motivational and part of it's just, it sounds so simple. Just eat lots of fruits and vegetables. You do great on the bike. Mm -hmm. Uh, it improves body composition. I know, it's real
2: basic stuff, right? But yep. yeah. yeah, welcome to the party, Nate.
0: Chad's <laughs> been <laughs> waiting for you the whole time. Door open. Um, when's that 40k TT? <laughs> March 26th, or been, May 26th. Is it May 26th? That's what we're counting I was peaking on. for March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know oh, we shoot. can sell. Oh, shoot. Um, our last thing I want to cover before we get into the questions is a quick, uh, plug on, uh, so Nick Canwetz, one of our employees here, uh, put together with, uh, plenty of research here with, um, the different, or the team at Trainer road, but put together an awesome blog post on, I've never done my full race distance, but will I be ready for my event? And the reason I'm saying this is because, man, we get this question quite a lot. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we even have a question that I think alludes to this loosely in today's podcast that we'll go over. Uh, so please re- refer to that blog post, um, and our stance on that. Well, you can go and read it and figure it out.
1: And I have a question for you guys. Leadville. Yeah. yeah. Is anyone going to do a nine, 10 or no. eight for you? hour mountain bike? mountain bike ride. Yeah. No, 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 no. Right? it's not. The goal. It's, not it's not necessary. I've right. never ridden a bike that long at all.
0: Mm-mm. I have. Oh, tell you, you guys about it? <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> Jed and I have it,
1: but we're not going to do that ahead of time. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Right, yeah. Not even. And it was read the blog post Tra- or blog. Dot com.
0: That's where it is, uh, and then we're going to start off with the submission. It's not necessarily a question, but. I feel like this is relatable for lots a good of good lesson. Yeah, for sure. comes from John. He says, gents, I really appreciate what you're doing with the podcast and was happy to pay a mere a hundred dollars for my annual TR subscription, uh, compared to my buddy who pays 12 times <laughs> for that, for a coach that only uses heart rate. Ouch. So ouch. Yeah. Burn to your buddy. Um, so anyways, he says that he's also getting a lot faster now than his buddy too, so double burn. Uh, anyways, five stars given for five hurt. stars earned. Yeah, I know. Right. He says, like, Hey, you're going out of my heart rate zone, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come back here. Also riding out of his zone period. He's riding away from him. Right. Uh, he says, you guys share a lot of pro tips. So I thought I would share my decidedly noob story for all those. Not so pros out there and resulting amateur hour tip. I think Nate will appreciate my neuroses throughout this experience. Yes. He says, I started sweet spot base two, And for those that don't know, that's our, our sweet spot base plan. That's the first phase of your training. If you are going from wherever you are to peak fitness. He says, I started it five weeks ago and could not finish an FTP test. He says it absolutely crushed me. I placed what I thought was appropriate, but, uh, but it, I just crashed and burned in the worst way early on in the second interval.
1: Okay. I'm going to interrupt you. Go to trainer road, beta testers, Facebook page. If you hate the eight minute, 20 minute test, just telling you,
0: Oh boy, we're about to get a flood right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, he says, and also, his experience is not abnormal in this case, uh, to see people, you know, have an issue, their first time doing an FTP test
2: that happens. It's hard to pace any duration effort.
0: Yep. You learned, uh, you learned to work through it. So, yep. uh, he says, strangely, I did get in one weekend mountain bike ride. So actually I should, I'm going to paraphrase, it. paraphrase a bit. He says he stuck with all the workouts. Uh, they were extremely hard. He couldn't finish a lot of them. Uh, then he says, strangely, I did get out on one weekend mountain bike ride on my local one to, or an hour 15 ish loop with 2000 feet of climbing and gnarly tech. And I finished within two minutes of my PR. So it shows that his fitness is, is good, but he's being hard on himself because he couldn't finish the workouts. He says, but then I still couldn't complete those workouts. So I'm going to summarize. He went through a whole bunch of different things. He thought, man, maybe I'm not eating enough. Maybe I'm not eating the right stuff. Maybe I'm not sleeping enough. Maybe I'm just not supposed to be fast. Right. He like went through every question and then he came down to the point where he was like, wait a second, maybe it's an equipment issue. So he looked at his break and his brake was rubbing but then he moved that brake, and it was still really hard to finish his workouts and he couldn't do it. He ended up looking at the bike and the skewer. He said the skewer was locked into the trainer just fine, but that skewer, once he started to look at it was actually a skew with his bike. Cause he just kept this bike on the trainer and I've actually seen that before. Mm-hmm. It makes it terribly hard to ride and it adds a ton of drag and it can be a total bummer. So if you are finding yourself in this situation, this is what he says. He says, um, Un pro tip of the week: Don't be like me. Take the bike off the trainer now and then. Give it a quick inspection. Put it back together and train on. Not doing so can wreck a training block, your confidence, and probably your equipment too. So, good tip.
1: I got. A, I have a embarrassing story too on that. Oh yeah, do tell. So I, I've been using the Cyclops <laughs> hammer now for six eight months. Yeah, and uh, I just realized. That I have a nine speed cassette on it. On really? it, my eleven speed bike. It still functions, right? It still functions, yeah. I was just like, why can't I click on it feels like I'm missing a gear. <laughs> yeah. I'm missing two gears.
0: There we are. And I went
1: down there and I counted them like four times in a row. So I'm yeah. like, you can't be this can't stupid. Be. <laughs> you can't be this stupid. So but you yeah.
0: need an eleven speed cassette on there.
1: Yeah, and it's because our test team bikes are all nine speed because they're less expensive yep. to buy. Yeah. And they had put a nine speed cassette on that for some kind of testing. That and then it got sense. back on they, they put it back in my office and it's yep. a nine speed now.
0: So something to know with that though, I, i you can get away. I'm sure that you can still get away with even shifting some years mm-hmm. without no. having jumping or, the,
1: like eight of them are good. Yeah.
0: So yeah. I think a lot of people think it, it can't work and sure it's best to use 11 with 11, but you be surprised at what you can get away with. And yeah. we also get a question somewhat regularly when people talk about Eagle cause it's 12 speed and if they can use that, the spacing on Eagle with 12 speeds is the same as the spacing on 11 speeds. I, okay. It's so just has one cog that's dished in toward that wheel a little more. So
1: right. I used Eagle on that nine speed cassette there. We are, And it, I could find a gear that, that worked and I used
0: to ERG mode. There you go. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah helpful stuff. Uh, let's go into Andrew's question. He says, what are the respective ages of Nate Pearson, Chad Timmerman, and Jonathan? Uh, let's go over those first, I guess, before we get into anything else.
2: Um, next Wednesday, I'll be 46. Nice. About two weeks from now, I'll be 36.
0: And I am 30 and a half. So 30, uh, and, a half. 30 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> important. To so count 10 those years down.
1: difference between Chad and I, and uh, then six between us. Yes, exactly.
0: Right. Uh, he says on a more serious note though, and I, I, we shared those because hopefully this gives people some point of reference for the conversation we'll have after this. Um, so he says on a more serious note, what is the, or what are the effects of age on FTP at 53? I'm still going up. What can older athletes reasonably expect?
2: So as aging athletes, we're up against really three things, three primary things um, that, I'm, that I'll discuss. Uh, first is the decline in VO2 max. Um, whether or not that takes place on the uh, intake of oxygen or the uptake of the muscle is hotly debated. It doesn't really matter. The fact is it declines. Um, the upside and the upside to all of the things I'm about to point out is that we, we have some control over how, how – Um, how rapidly it declines. Mm -hmm. Um, secondly, we typically get fatter, um, whether that's due to inactivity, poor eating, um, a shift in the type of workouts we do less working out, et cetera, aging athletes typically add body fat. And then there's a decline in muscle mass. So same thing, and this just happens as a as a result of age, but also misuse or disuse. You know, if you don't use it, you do actually lose it. Muscles do atrophy if they're not utilized.
0: Getting old sounds great. Yeah, but but these are all things, (laughs) and see, these
2: are all things that happen to a sedentary person or you know a person who's cutting back on their training. Excuse me, but but in any case, well within our control. Mm -hmm. Um, The decline in VO2 max, um, the decline in max heart rate, which is arguable whether that even happens to a measurable degree. In some athletes, it doesn't. It's, it sticks. Um, but the decline in VO2 max can be controlled with high intensity work and, and not a ton of it. Um, obviously, body fat, that's basically dietary and uh, tied to, to your workload. And then muscle mass hit the gym, especially as an aging athlete. This is why it's so important for masters, women, for people with any sort of bone deficiency uh, possibilities, osteopenia, osteoporosis. These are things that absolutely affect cyclists. And one way to mitigate that those effects is to weight train, strength train. Mm-hmm.
1: I've always heard that the VO2 max starts to decline at 35. Yeah, I've
2: seen that number kicked around, 35, 45. It gets noticeable. Um, it, it, but even when it gets noticeable, when you see those bigger declines, it's usually tied to the fact that athletes become less active or yeah. they start ditching intensity. You know, something but it's, that, oh, Sorry, it, go ahead. It's typically about – estimated at about a 1% decline per year.
0: I find it very interesting <clears throat> that in cyclocross – other than the pros, <laughs> oftentimes the fastest category are the 40 year olds, the right. 40 to forty fours around yeah. there. Um, yeah, so, and that's a very VO two intensive type of effort. You know what I mean? Like, so. Yep. And then, you know, as VO two max, maybe declines, maybe you're increasing your FTP
2: as a, as a percentage of it. So performance doesn't necessarily have to tank like you think mm-hmm. it's going to.
1: And that's another part of it is that he said, uh, Andrew says at 53, I'm still going up. Yeah. I think like, how many people do we know who've, who we think like personally, you've hit your max potential. Like physically, do I know anyone?
0: No, like anyone. That's the thing. Like, I mean, first of all, it'd be really hard to measure that, but I think that we're very good at placing a mental limitation on ourselves with that. But in terms of physical limitations, that's something else. There are so many athletes that are extremely fast in their fifties and, and only going up, I think like Southern California, for example, I mean, it has a lot of racers, but there are a lot of really fast masters racers down there. And then also in the NorCal scene too, but in the mountain bike side of things and cross, Like Victor Sheldon, for example, he's incredibly fast and he's, I believe in the 50 year old age group now, and I would not be surprised if he's only getting faster every year. I mean, it's, it's common to see.
1: I can't tell you how many over the last just week, personal conversations I've had with users where... The, I'll just tell you, we're, we're playing with a new kind of FTP test and that's mm-hmm. in that trainer road beta group and on my Strava <laughs> that you can follow. Um, but <laughs> inside of there, a bunch of people, they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And they report back. They're like, I did it and it was hard. And I'm like, yes. It feels good. Like I, They're like, I did VO2 max intervals and it was really hard. And yeah. I'm like, it's, I'm typing back. It's supposed to be hard. Mm-hmm. Like it does. And, but for so much of their life, they never, or at least their history with trainer road, They had worked out at a, like a a lower FTP and never pushed themselves because they were scared. They're like, no way could I be that high. Mm -hmm. No way could I be 10 Watts higher. No way could I be 15 Watts higher. And then they try it and then it works.
0: At hard work. I mean, there there are certain limitations for sure, but you know, hard work, as long as it's in the confines of proper structure and everything else, it makes you faster. And I think that a lot of that, you know, that seems very commonplace and very understandable. But I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm not going to get any faster now because I am older, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the case.
1: So there's the other point is in all of the racing that we do in triathlon, it's age group bucket, right? Yeah. So as long as your guys aren't going the testosterone and this is for male or hormone replacement kind of stuff, although I don't even know for women if hormone replacement is illegal because- I don't yeah. really know. I mean, I know well, for men it is, but
0: cause then you're, yeah, yeah that's a, that's a tricky area. Yeah.
1: You know? mm. That's a whole nother mm-hmm. podcast topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so you can, you maybe not hit your potential in your fifties, but you're going against other 50 year olds. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so I wouldn't worry about it. Right. Right. Yeah. And just know too, that you can always improve. And just because you can be faster at 60 than you were at 50, you can be faster at 50 than you were at 30. Totally. Especially as you get older, Handling skills and just like tactics, because usually they're uh, lo- you're a lot smarter, right? Yeah, totally. Chad? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: We're living proof. <laughs> yeah. Very smart. Very smart. <laughs> and yeah. I think another thing with that too is available time that you may have. Maybe the kids are older, more independent. You don't have to rely on that. Maybe mm-hmm. your career is in a spot that's a little bit more sustainable and allows you more of, flexibility. A lot of athletes get
2: smarter with their training too. They have mm-hmm. to. They have less and less time to train, so they have to do it more intelligently. Yeah. And if you get to a point where you're just not afraid to suffer and you can make the most out of that limited time, you'll be surprised. I'm just reading a book now about grit. And uh,
1: they say as you get older, you get grittier. Right. Yeah. It's it's totally. easy. You can do things longer that are uncomfortable. Some may we, call it stubborn. I see, <laughs> yeah. no, I see, I see
2: old timers, quote unquote, old timers come off the bench. You know, if 45-year-old racers who have maybe had a six-month tra- training hiatus and yeah. they get out there and they duke it out. And it's, it's inexplicable. You see them hang on to something that just defies logic. They shouldn't be able to do it, but they do it primarily out of tenacity. They're just tough.
1: I wish I had like at 35, my grit is so much more than I had at 20. Yeah. If I could take the discipline that I have in my life and everything that I do at 20, when I had all the even more energy and like,
0: like it would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all think that though. Right? You know? yeah. Like, yeah. Wisdom wisdom grows <laughs> well, just the, a little slow the, for us sometimes.
1: Well, right now too, then so what I want to think about then is what will my forty five year old self say about my thirty five year old exactly. self. Exactly. Right?
0: Yep, look ahead with it. And
1: then all the twenty year olds listening, like think about what we're saying right now and try to apply that to your life about being grittier and sticking with things and stuff Oh yeah.
0: Like, that. like I see a lot of younger athletes, uh, because they have the luxury of time. And they don't have as many responsibilities that require them. I I see a lot of them not being efficient with their training and a lot of pro athletes, even that I see that are just like, you know, they spend the whole day just noodling around on the bike rather than being really structured. And man, there's so much to be gained. If you are more structured with it. I'm actually
1: looking at one of them right now. (laughs) There's a pro in our right here who, uh, we put his, he's kind of listening behind us, he doesn't know what I'm talking about him right now, Yeah, but, uh, who He was trying to hire FTP and he complained about the workouts (laughs) are too hard. hard. And then he actually went through them and did all the workouts (laughs) and he wins pro enduro's. He's looking at me now. Super Uh, fast. Yep. And he's a young
0: guy, but get that Mm. grit, Bryce. You can do it. You'll be even better. (laughs) Uh, let's go into David's question. He says, uh, love the podcast. I enjoy putting the YouTube video up on my screen at work and listening and watching great work. You and plenty of folks, David, there are a lot of people that I think do that very same thing. It's easy to kind of put YouTube in the backgrounds and have spreadsheets on top and just (laughs) kind (laughs) of, yeah, exactly. Hopefully not our employees. (laughs) So he says, my question, I'm not the best at sprinting, but I love crits. This isn't to say that you need to be a Caleb Ewan to win crits, but it helps to be able to sprint in criteriums. Of course, yeah. He says, "With that said, I've had luck breaking away and staying off the front for a good amount of time in races before. Kind of more Nate strategy. You've mentioned that that you'd rather do that one yeah. ten times to one to having to be, go into a sprint, right?" Yeah. Uh, he says, "Now I'm stuck between picking a specialty phase. So, and for those that don't know, we break our training down into three phases. There's the base phase, the build phase, and the specialty phase. The final one is where things get really specific. So instead of just you know something that's that's more general, we actually have a criterium specific training plan in that part. In that part." as well as things like time trials and stuff. He says, I'm thinking of picking the crit plan, but would it be terrible to pick a TT plan to help a TT plan, forgive me, to help increase my sustainable power. That would keep me off the front of a crit. I'm a 170 pound rider with an FTP of about 270. So I put some around 3.5 Watts per kilogram. Thanks guys.
2: Yeah. Uh, so David, I understand your dilemma, but I'm of the opinion that you should when at all possible, round out your arsenal. You don't want your limitations to basically restrict your tactics. Mm. So if you're, if this is your plan to, to race like this all the time, you become a very predictable rider. It also kind of gets a little uninteresting for you. You know what your one playable tactic is and you're reliant upon it. If it doesn't shake out, then, then what else are you going to do? You're not going to be in the hunt if it comes down to any sort of sprint.
0: Like one thing really quick on that, if I could, granted, if you're going into like a national championship, for example, where like one yeah. race really matters. Yeah. You'll want to rely on your strengths as much as possible. Yeah.
2: yeah but as a, I mean, as a, as a road racer, a mass start road racer, you have to have a, a wide array of mm-hmm. skills. I mean, you simply do and, and, and capabilities. So it's not to say you have to develop the best sprint you can, and you're going to, you know, siphon off some of your energy that would be dedicated to muscle endurance to improving your sprint, but I would still address your sprint. Um, whether or not you want to go crit plan versus TT plan, it's still kind of up to you. We can all weigh in on that, but I'd say stick with the crit plan. Um, again, so, so that you can be a more well-rounded rider. If you decide to go the TT route, you can weave in sprint workout, w- sprint work quite easily, even within a muscle endurance workout, just sprinkling a couple five to six, eight to 10 second efforts, and boom, you've got a sprint workout part and parcel. Mm. Yeah, David, I, I like your strategy, but the thing about the
1: TT plan is yeah. You can't just in a crit be like, "Okay, guys, I'm going to be at threshold for the next 40 minutes. And don't catch up." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's it's <laughs> all you have to like an explosive effort to get off, establish oh, yeah. the break. That's very high and usually a VO2 max effort, and then settle into it. And, you and when you're
0: settling in, you're settling in at threshold. Like it's you know it's
1: depending on how long it is, right? Yeah, like, yeah I that's, think... that's my other point. Is it could be a 10 minute break. So right. then you're
0: going to have mm-hmm. to be above threshold.
1: It's usually not a hour long break, like, yeah. you or a like crit. a 40 minute break. Yeah,
2: exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. I think criterium riders are amongst the, have to be amongst the most versatile riders out there. Yes. There's, I mean, it's a, it's a short, hard race. It's kind of like a cross racer. You have to be able to do a lot of things and you have to be able to do them all well.
0: Something I've found too. So let's say that you build up this one trick pony kind of level, right? Where you're this guy that just, just breaks off the front and you have enough sustained power to actually stay away. That trick will get memorized the next week. Yeah, those and then, tactics will start working against you. And then what happens is you get somebody else that comes with you because they're waiting for you to do that. And then what happens is it's not a steady pull anymore. Now you're actually taking polls with somebody and you're working together. Well,
2: your predictability becomes everybody else's benefit. Everybody yeah. knows exactly what you're going to do or when you do something, how that's going to play out, and they can work off of that.
0: And it changes the nature of the work that you're doing in that breakaway too. Yeah. You know, like, whereas yeah, – You may be sustained and consistent, yeah. but once you get another person with you, you're going to be very – Two or three more riders
2: effort. taking hard polls and yeah. you're clinging. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it, it, it could put you into a situation where you basically – If you're just hoping that you can be like the solo breakaway guy, you're also banking on everybody else, not getting used to that. And I know that's like one of the most helpful things for criterium racing is knowing what your competition is going to do. Cause if you know that you can even get by with a little less fitness, perhaps being in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Like you, you have more Mm -hmm. wiggle room. If you know what people are going to do.
1: I've told this story, maybe A year and a half ago, but I'm going to tell it again. Okay. So uh, back in 09 or something when I was doing a lot of crit racing in Reno and uh, it was a B race and there was a series of crits and we have them all the time here in Reno and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then some of those would be points races, mm-hmm. right? For a big overall championship. Mm-hmm. And what I would do is I would attack going to break away and on the non-point races, I would give up ahead of time. And get nice. sucked up. So I may get sucked up four times in a row.
0: Everyone everyone would think this guy. There goes Nate again.
1: And I don't know if anyone thought that, but in my head, this is the thing that I'm thinking yeah. that I'm yeah. doing. And then on the one that was the point race, I'm like, I'm not going to give up this time. I'm going to yeah. get out so no one chases me, and I'm just going to go. And I lap the field.
0: Oh, yeah. When, yeah, and, that's
2: a longer-term strategy, and yeah. it's it, it was effective. And it's
0: yeah, it's clever because anytime clever, somebody yeah. goes up the road, what do you do? I mean, when I see somebody <coughs> go up the road, I instantly weigh Will that stick? Will yeah. that guy drop back? Yeah. You know, I'm always thinking about that.
1: What is it? Uh, Tommy Vokler. Volk- Vokler. Vokler. Yeah. Volkler? Uh, Armstrong always like yells at him because he always does. these attacks and puts his tongue out and then gets sucked in like yeah. a minute later. Yeah. The peloton doesn't care until he, he doesn't. Though. Until he doesn't. Well, and he did yeah.
0: that. And and yeah. And yeah, that's why he had the yellow jersey for quite a while. And he's had some. And that's just the thing. Maybe right? he's just roping us in <laughs> so, right yeah, now. <laughs> exactly right. So much of it is poker. Like I think that when you're when you're especially a criterium because. It's so concentrated and it's a shorter race that that happens on short loops. So in one respect, it kind of weeds out the variables of the course because everybody knows it. It's the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and that's why I absolutely love criterium racing is because yeah. it is that chess well, match. Uh,
2: Riding on that same point with Thomas Vokler he he tried things until they worked. I mean, he mm-hmm. learned. He, he basically explored capabilities and then at some point learned. Wait, I can do that also. Mm-hmm. So in David's case, where he never to sprint what if he's actually got a really good sprint to develop? What if he can add that arrow to his quiver? I mean, he'll it, never know. Unless it
0: doesn't take much, I feel, to, to- – refine what you've got for your sprint and that little refinement can actually go a long ways. Whereas some people I see that say, oh no, I'm a natural sprinter, but they don't work on it a whole lot because they just rely on it as being like a natural strength. I really do think that working on your sprint and familiar familiarizing yourself with it and where you're going to sprint on that course, everything else can really pay off more than just relying on, oh, I'm just naturally gifted as a sprinter.
1: Uh, Pete Morris, who pro road racer and now a product manager for train road, yes. um, he Always said when we were first races, when we we're younger, I'm a sprinter, I'm a sprinter. Hmm. And then he found out, you know what? I'm not a sprinter.
0: Nah. Yeah. He got into the top, into the big leagues and he found out that there are people that are extremely specialized and he, he changed his tactic and he was then, you know, found a spot where he could Yeah, could And he's still well. an
2: effective bike racer, but oh, yeah. he didn't pigeonhole very, himself very, and, uh, and has learned that. Yeah. I'm,
1: so I'm looking at the mid volume criterion plan right now. And I think for breakaways and stuff, this is the plan. Just go with this one. Because even on the weekends, you're getting some attacks with the high, uh, like just below threshold sustainability Mm -hmm. with more attacks. And you're getting short um, efforts that are 110 to 112% FTP for six minutes. Mm -hmm. That sounds like an establishing the break right there, right? Yeah, again, it's that
2: versatility I was talking about. So so the workouts do account for the fact that you have to be able to do a lot of different things.
1: And then you're also getting some 12-minute and uh, up 15-minute Inter- sweet sweet spot, spot
2: intervals. Yeah. That, that
1: will mm-hmm. help on that longer stuff. So totally. I would just go with the crit plan, not the 40 K TT.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing I would recommend too, when you're, when you're dealing with, I call them race start intervals, uh, those ones that mm-hmm. have or a surges. surge. And then after that you stay at threshold or right around there something like that for an extended period of time. I would recommend if you're doing that too, to really treat that in your mind, like, you know, don't get out of the saddle and thrash your bike and <laughs> harm it on the trainer, but treat that in your mind. Like, I am breaking, yep. like I am mm-hmm. getting away. So it, with those really short, like 15 second surges, you don't necessarily have to match, like don't limit yourself with that power target. If you feel like it doesn't replicate what you would do if you're really trying to break. Yeah,
2: a lot of the workouts in the specialty plans, especially mm-hmm. um, are, are are geared toward uh, helping you discover things, not just improving your conditioning, but also letting you test test the water, see what works, what maybe is a little too much, what mm-hmm. maybe could be done a little better the Saturday plans too. their, uh, Saturday I, workouts,
1: Saturday so. workouts. Sorry. Mm-hmm. On, in the crit plan, <laughs> a mid volume I'm looking at. I really love these types of workouts. You go at 125% for just like 25 seconds. And then you go down to 88% for 15 or 30 seconds mm-hmm. and you go up and down. Yes. And then the blocks change. That is, uh, pulling in a pace line, pulling up in a especially in a breakaway. Right.
0: Totally. So if he does or a breakaway, just
1: criterium in and out of corners, yeah, either yeah. Same same like that, but Mm-hmm. If you get in it with John to Jonathan's point earlier, if someone else comes with you, mm-hmm. you want to be good at doing those pulls, yeah. so that when you do get to the finish line and it's a two up sprint, yep. you're not totally thrashed yeah. like the other person is.
0: If you're marshaling the front of a pack too. And you're kind of like that guy that's sitting up there waiting for the right move mm-hmm. and you're in a, your third wheel or something like that. in that pack, you have a little bit of shelter. You're still going to be surging constantly when people are doing these little breaks, oh, If you're
2: waiting a break. You're working the whole time. It's just oh, a question sure. of how hard.
0: And if you're in the front and you're not, you know, in just the group and you're trying to keep an eye on everybody attacking to recognize those, those efforts, it's not a steady effort. You're constantly surging within that too. So. It's a killer plan. And you know what the fun part is? I've mentioned this plenty of times before, but when you develop that kind of fitness from a criterion mm-hmm. plan, you are a thorn in every single person's side on a group ride. You can do there. a lot. When yeah. it's like a hammer. A lot of damage. Don't yeah. be the guy that like ruins a peaceful group ride. But when it's like a hammer fest, everyone will just be like, again, So, so much more fun. he's going again, like, and it'll just, it'll drive people nuts. So Yeah,
1: actually you're right. So if, if you are just want to like, if you weren't racing oh, and yeah. you want to just to be like drop ride fit, yeah. I would do the Criterion plan mm-hmm. for, you totally know, I've built up to it. And then in the summer when all those rides are happening, do yeah. that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And even if like you're not a road racer and you're a cross racer, It'd be cool to, to dip the toe into the criterium plan because it's really There's a similar. lot of similarities there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in
2: the t- plans and the, and the actual race demands. Yeah.
0: yeah. Dip your toe into that in the off season, if you want uh, for some fun and then get back into things with cross later on. So
2: yeah, I find criterium racers make very good cross racers and yep. vice versa.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mike says, what are your views on incorporating speaking of group rides, Nate, uh, solo and group rides outside the trainer road program say you're using a three day a week, uh, train and road plan. So those, those usually coincide with like our low volume plans. They're usually three to four rides a week, uh-huh. um, that you would have on that. And we have low, mid and high volume of every plan that we have to, to fit whatever type of stress you can maintain. But we do this pretty regularly. Um, I mean, all of us do it regularly. Yeah. Um, this weekend I went out for the drop ride, which ended out being, ended up being very sad because I got a flat tire and I had to roll it like two miles an hour I didn't have the right tube. But, uh, incorporating these rides and putting them into your training plan, how would you say is the best way to go about having a group ride that you have on the weekend? How would you fit that into the plan, Chad? What adjustments would you make?
2: Just about always just swap it for your Saturday workout. I mean, Saturday workout's a longer workout in in all cases. And it's usually one of the more varied workouts too. And oftentimes it might be a race simulation workout, in which case a drop ride, which is very racy, is a super good fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the
1: other thing you could do, if you're on the low volume, and you can take more volume because you're eating all these fruits and vegetables. Just <laughs> um, but what I've—it's for me—it's priorities. I really want to do. I feel like the the weekend workouts and the plans really like push me to the next level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I was doing a low volume one and there was a group ride, I would make sure that that I, you can't say which rides which stays on, but I would do the Saturday trainer road workout and then Sunday I would do the group ride. Mm-hmm. And see if I could take that little bit extra stress because mm-hmm. you don't, uh, you might not fall exactly in right. 283 TSS. <clears throat> Maybe you can yeah. take a little bit mm-hmm. more, but I wouldn't go drop ride and then train a road ride. Yeah. I mean, you, you could, in the but same day. no, no. Yeah. Oh, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. I just priorities, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But if it's a great fun drop ride, do it on Saturday, but then it, the next ride is going to be a little bit harder on trainer road, yeah. right? Because you're more mm-hmm. tired and fatigued.
0: Also another option, let's say that you're doing a low volume plan. So you you have three structured, three to four structured interval workouts a week. If there is a situation you feel like you can handle plenty of stress, that's an important assumption. Like you can handle more. Maybe yeah. you're just stuck with time that you have. Right. Yeah. Um, but if there's any way that you can fit in your three, three workouts that you have scheduled that week, and then also do the drop ride. Like for example, let's just say Friday evening, you can actually fit in one of those workouts. Uh, you could, you could do that as well. What I'm getting at is you don't necessarily have to replace a structured workout with that weekend ride. If you can number one, afford the stress and recover appropriately from it. Mm-hmm. And then number two, afford the time, uh, that would be like a, a great setup. If you're doing three to four structured workouts and then you yeah. had that hammer fest with
2: anything, it's a try and see sort of approach. You can't just do it and totally. accept that it's going to work. You, do it and see how it goes.
0: And it goes also, it's important to say, I think that all of us feel the same way with this is that while we feel that you put your money, the deposits go into the bank when you're doing those structured workouts. And it's important to do that. And if you skip that, your balance does go lower. We also recognize the absolute importance and the desire to go outside because that's the whole point of this thing is to, is to be training, so that you can race effectively or, you know, be in that group ride, like you want to ride, whatever mm-hmm. else it is. So we get that. I think sometimes people think we just train inside all day. Every there's, day. A,
2: there's always a balance to be struck.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And you learn things racing with a group that really complement the fitness that you're building. And if you have that strategy that oh, you yeah. can add to that, and if you're going to race mass boom. start, you
2: have to spend time training mass start. I yeah. Mean,
1: you can't in, just in be like four years of training a road and then come outside <laughs> and be like, I'm
2: going to do well, not, Yeah, not in a big group. I mean, that's some sketchy business. You'll be some, spending a lot of energy. Yeah. Writing probably poorly and cautiously. Proper strategy.
0: Yeah. Proper strategy and experience activates all the fitness that you've built.
2: Now, this is a little bit of a
1: tangent, but for the time trial, I'm actually the opposite because I find I can't do really great TT workouts outside. That's why I said mass start because time trialing, you can get away with doing... Basically all your training indoors and triathlons and then I'm just going to do like equipment checks Mm -hmm. and the, the, the key thing I just have to do is make sure that whatever position I am on my TT bike inside my head is at the same angle. Like looking at my super important, road, my iPad.
0: So a good, yeah, that's a great way to do it is to basically look at where the line of sight is and if you, if you it's cause it can be really hard to find where that line of sight is, even if there's horizontal lines in our field of view, it can mess things up in relation, but something really easy that you could do is have somebody take a picture of you when you're riding outside and then see where your head angle is at when you're riding outside. And then when you get inside, try to replicate that, look where your eyes are and then put your screen there it can really yeah. help.
1: And then I'll do small thing, shorter races that aren't that important mm-hmm. to
0: like
2: make sure all the equipment's set up mm-hmm. and I can yeah. do you know, pacing and yeah. that kind of and thing. And we've talked about it before. Um, wear your helmet every once in a while. If you're gonna do all your work indoors, as uncomfortable and hot as it may be, put your helmet on, make sure that, it, that the head position you think you're going to maintain works with your helmet because yeah. I've been bitten by that. It doesn't oh, yeah. always. It's yeah. more weight, right? Totally. more weight for one thing. And then depending on the shape of the helmet, you may not be able to get your head in the position that mm-hmm. you've been training in.
0: Yeah. So this, this isn't necessarily applicable to just road riding, right? If you're not using a TT helmet, but that TT position and that helmet, if you have a long stinger on there, mm-hmm. but you've been training to a position where you're just still looking down the whole time, maybe that long stinger helmet worked before, but now you've built up this position where your head's down and that stinger's just poking up into the wind causing drag. So Yeah. You do want to take that into consideration. Just, just
2: an equipment check like anything else. Just make sure all your equipment's dialed.
0: Absolutely. Uh, question from Jorge. He says, hi, I'm a long distance triathlete and I've been using train road for a couple of years with great results. You really have a great product and great podcast five stars. Thanks man. Good to hear it. He says on August 2018 I'll take part in an Ultraman. Oh, that's crazy stuff right there. Uh which is a kind of he says, which is a kind of very long triathlon. It's a three stage event. Day one consists of a ten kilometer swim. What? Yeah. Followed by a one hundred and fifty kilometer bike ride. Day two is a two hundred and seventy five kilometer bike ride. And day three is an eighty-four point four kilometer run. Dear me. Jorge, you are crazy. Um <laughs> That sounds so not, so rough. He says, "I'm a little nervous and confused trying to figure out how to plan my training for such an event. I've never done something like that before, and there isn't a ton of training plans to prepare for an Ultraman out there. Uh, my current approach is trying to base my tra- my preparation on your high volume full distance triathlon, maybe trying to extend long rides, runs, and swims on the weekends to match extra long tests uh, I will face in the Ultraman." I'd really love to hear some of your ideas on how to tackle this, uh, the preparation for this huge challenge. Thanks in advance.
2: Yeah. I think you're already onto it, Jorge, that, that as far as the plans on offer here at trainer road, that's going to be your best fit. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you're going to modify anything, modify your long, whatever, swim, bike or run, Mm -hmm. it's, it really is that simple. So. You just need to cultivate basically a high level of base fitness. And I don't, I'm not sure what time frame you're working with. If you have 28 weeks, if you have more, mm-hmm. if you have more, I would just focus more on base conditioning. Yeah. So just dr- just drag out that base phase even longer because that's all this is going to be is one big, long base level effort, yep. whether you're swimming, running, or riding. I think it's like uh, Ultraman stuff is
1: it's fitness, but it's so much more mental. Like, and, yeah, and
0: nutrition, yeah. too, I feel like has to play a pretty big role with, oh. in something like oh, yeah. this. You, you mess know? it up, especially over two days. Well, and going back oh.
2: to that psychological aspect of it, that's why extend those long runs, rides, and swims when possible. Get, get a feel for what it's like to actually run. 50K even. I mean, I, I'm not trying that's to crazy. prescribe actual distances, but let's see what it's like when you're out there after four hours of running.
0: Yeah, this is like totally foreign terrain. We usually say that, you know, you don't have to, like if you have a century coming up, you don't have to ride 100 miles. Uh, You've got to have some
2: exposure to, to, to long stuff if you're going to do something like this. Yeah. Yeah, not but, not a 10-mile run when you got an 84K run. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, this is, that's some next-level stuff. I would think like with a, and something that we learned with stage racing and day, you know, back-to-back with, was nutrition, learning, you know, having a plan on what you're going to do with that nutrition, making sure that it's feasible on within that, those race days. And then being able to stick to that plan and knowing that it's going to work for you would be huge. Uh, for single track six, that was something that I noticed was pretty tough. Uh, you know, I w I wasn't hungry. I didn't feel hungry enough. Right. So I wasn't eating enough and I should have been eating more and more every day. And anyways, that's, I feel like that's like a, they, I hear that with Ironman a lot of the time they say like the, the hardest, you know, swim, bike, run, eat and eats the toughest one. You know, I've heard that before. And it seems like it's even more important with a multi-day format. So I,
1: I don't really, I don't have a lot of experience with Ultraman. So this is me off the top of my head, but what I would do if I was in a situation, you obviously can't combine all these into training, right? Which right. Do the Candidates is you're going to take too long to recover. Mm-hmm. Just the, the logistics of it too would be very hard, mm-hmm. but for a 10 K swim, I would sign up for like, we have a Lake Tahoe, really long swim. That's, you know, or, or one at Donner, that's a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do maybe a, a ultra marathon, a trail ultra marathon, mm-hmm. a 30 miler, but not do it at race pace. Do it at what the pace is going to be for yeah. Ironman, yeah. right? Yeah, kind of exactly. back it off. And so it's kind of like training, but I get some kind of like logistical support for these long things. Because it's yeah. hard to carry totally. all that stuff for you or do an open water yeah. three mile swim and have it be safe is yeah. hard to do too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's massive stuff, man. Jorge, good luck with that. And let us know, um, how things turn out. That'll be interesting to hear. Uh, Jamie says, it seems like I lack muscle strength and I feel like cardiovascular fitness is a relative strength for me. I'm currently following sweet swap base mid volume and struggling to finish the higher TSS sessions. Uh, do you have any ideas or suggestions? Um, and one thing before we go into this, we've, we've mentioned this plenty of times, but not all TSS is created equal. So he says higher TSS sessions. It isn't just like higher volume or something else like that. But, um, sweet swap base does have like a lot of sustained work that requires that muscular endurance. And that's,
2: that's the key right here. So he's talking about strength limitations and, and um, was there some mention of getting into the gym?
0: Um, I thought there was. Yeah, no, not in this one. Oh, but anyway, it's it's yeah. not
2: it's not strength. If you're if you're looking at uh, you know strength training sort of strength gains, I mean the the you'll recognize you're deficient in that sort of thing when you start to see particular things. Uh, for instance. The decline in your, your body's form on the bike. Um, as less fit riders, less strong riders get tired over the course of a long ride, their posture starts to suffer. Their pedaling style gets a little more wasteful, that sort of thing. Um, maybe you can't jump to catch a break. You don't have a sprint. You can't surge up a short hill that would indicate that you have maybe a bit of a strength limitation mm-hmm. that you would address differently than a strength endurance limitation, which what is, I think is what you're describing here. So you're just talking about sweet spot intervals that maybe were f- eight minutes or 10 minutes, and now they're 12 or 15, and you're having a hard time getting through those latter minutes. In that case, you've got a few things to look at. We've talked about how nutrition and hydration play a real hard or a real important role in um, these steady state sustained mm-hmm. high-intensity efforts. I mean, high-intensity relative to, to threshold. You're working at a high percentage of it, and you're staying there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So if you're under fuel for that, if you're running out of you know, hydration, your heart's pumping harder and harder over the course of it, that can manifest. Um, so make sure that's, that's, that's not an issue. Um, your TSS ramp rate, you said you're in a mid-level plan. Maybe that ramps a little too quickly for you to respond positively to it. Maybe you need a little more rest. This could mean shifting around your rest days Could mean shifting around your rest week instead of every third week. It's, uh, instead of every fourth week, it's every third week, that sort of thing. Um, also account for what's going on off the bike. So outside stressors could be influencing your rides. It might not be relative to your fitness. Exactly. It might just be tied to what, what else is going on outside of. What you're doing on the bicycle,
0: oh, which happens all the time, right? Like, yeah, and, totally. And I think that in the base phase, a lot of people are in a situation where they'll be like, "Oh, it's just base work. We're mm-hmm. good." And you'll underestimate the fact that, like, like you have to consider it. It's a, it's a demanding. It's a lot of work. Oh, and it's not just like it's something that you can pass <clears throat> off. And man, I, I know that a lot of the time too, I want to tell myself that part, that aspect of my life isn't getting to me. It isn't affecting me. It's you all know? getting to you. But it does. It all, yeah. It all adds up. Yeah.
1: So I've been. You've uh, long time listeners have heard me complain of tired legs about a bajillion times. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Chad's like, Yes, <laughs> so many times. A few times. <laughs> <laughs> my legs are feeling great. And the things that I think of, I've done a lot of sweet spot bass lately and right peak. I think that's like my. I feel so great if I can do right peak. It's a workout. Three by 30 sweet yeah, spot. That's a big boy. And I think you're like 88, 92, 90 or something like that yeah. percentage of FTP. You yeah. could
0: you could like just start eating after that for the rest of the day and you would still end in a deficit. I think it's it's when I
1: do it, it's like 1800 calories. Yeah. That's a lot. Man. Right? Yeah. That's like people's daily <laughs> yeah, intake. Yeah, totally.
0: That's like, that's like what I'm supposed to be for my daily intake. Yeah. But
1: you, I've been taking, I'm trying to like really get good at my notes, what I take and stuff. And if I have a bad nutrition day, And then I do a sweet spot. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. Like the RP, I, this is how I feel. uh, Again, just, this is uh, Matt Fitzgerald endurance diet. Just read that book. But I feel like if I, I'm eating the high carb stuff to make my workouts be easier, like feel easier.
0: You're fueling your workouts. And, but the, the benefit is in the, per, I mean, could be in tangible performance, of course, but perception is like a big thing you're trying to draw. Yeah.
1: It makes my, the RPE of the workout is so much lower. It's the same output, right? Yep. yep. When I eat very well and eat lots of carbs throughout the day and I, really long time old listeners, I try to do like this carb trickle thing. And I try to do <laughs> so many things, so many things. Yeah. And
2: I feel like I've finally got it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the. Jamie's following a plan, so I can assume that he has done shorter intervals that are gravitating toward longer intervals. So I don't think it's a lack of muscular endurance. I honestly think in this case, it's probably undernourishment.
0: Yeah, which is super common. Like mm-hmm. these, we, we call these workouts burners a lot of the time because you're spending a lot of time at a, at a relatively high intensity. Remember, sweet spot work is darn near threshold, right? So like, so it's, it's, it's it hard is. work. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, I just notice it if like the night before my dinner is, let's say a hamburger and and something else that's not a lot of carbs Mm -hmm. and then in the morning maybe i don't have a lot high of a carb breakfast and then it's just so hard like i can still get through it but i'm like oh this is i i actually think first someone messed with my power meter (laughs) i I actually think of you two (laughs) you two you came in there and you're like messing with my brain and you're messing with my power meter chad and
0: i are nowhere near you give us way too much credit on that yeah yeah
1: yeah. i I just it's it's (laughs) It's it, it makes a huge difference. That's, but that's I'm trying well, but to say. There's is. there's
2: recognizable signs though. I mean, you just feel flat, which could be fatigue, but oftentimes mm-hmm. it's because you're undernourished. Mm-hmm. But when but when the the dead giveaway is when you're 12 minutes into a 15-minute interval and it's those last 3 minutes that you're just struggling yes. to get through and then the next interval is a little tougher than that that previous one. Mm-hmm. These are strong indications that you simply don't have enough fuel on board.
1: Yeah, and when it is, like they're all kind of easy. Like mm-hmm. at the end, and then at the end of a sweet spot workout, sometimes I'll kick up the last interval. I probably shouldn't, but I kick it up because <laughs> on those are the days where everything's fueled right. I had some bananas
2: yeah, you're, too. You're while improving I out. your your strength endurance. You should be able to do that. You should. Yeah, that's how. By it the works. way,
1: should for work. those longer so right peak two hours mm-hmm. at 1800 calories, I'm eating during that ride. Yeah, and I love now a bunch of bananas. You're not going to be able to preload for an 1800 calorie workout. You're yeah. going to have to ingest something. Yeah. Over the course but, of yeah. the but rather than more expensive, I love the, the chews that I have for, uh, um, for like racing and stuff. I'm not yeah. going to carry a bunch of bananas on me while I race, right, right. but, uh, I, having that while I work out, you can eat a lot of bananas, and I have a special talent to be able to eat a lot of food.
0: And they can, and they can also eat whatever food in terms of like yeah. his stomach. It's it's an iron gut.
1: But so. just the idea of that when you are training inside, you mm-hmm. could use some – or uh, dates, mm-hmm. like dried dates would be great uh, while you're working out because a, a lot of sugar and stuff. Just It's less expensive than uh, buying a whole bunch of packets because you can go through a lot of those.
0: Something I think – so this is a mistake I made, and perhaps other people uh, are, are making this mistake as well. I used to think I don't need more – food because I'm not hungry. Mm -hmm. And like, you always hear that thing. Like if you wait till you're hungry, you know, you've, you're, 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 it's too late. Right. But I always thought that like, that was my indication that I needed to eat more. However, um, after reading the endurance side, I realized the fact that like, no, it's just, it's not about necessarily feeling hungry. It's about giving my body what it needs in terms of that energy. And. And yeah, it's, it feels like in a lot of cases at first, especially felt like I was eating way too much.
2: Well, depending on the intensity of a race, it can be pretty hard to feel hungry. I mean, you're not going to feel hungry. It doesn't mean you don't need food. Mm -hmm. And I'm always thinking
1: about the next workout. So even if it's the last interval the right peak and I'm like, you know, I got 15 minutes left. I'm like, I can totally get through this without eating anything, Mm -hmm. but I'm not trying to change my body composition. I'm like, but tomorrow. I am going to do Baxter or maybe do some more sweet spot work. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to eat a couple more bananas and some more stuff. And then afterwards, I'm going to eat some food, even though I could get through without it.
0: Yeah. It's a good idea. It's working. Uh, yeah, working, right? Yeah. We'll do the last one from Kevin, and then for those that are with us from on Facebook Live, we'll answer your questions thereafter. Uh, so stick around with us. Uh, but this one from Kevin, he says, "I just finished a season of cyclocross. I'm still relatively new to racing and training with power, and I'm still learning a lot. This is my first season with a power meter, and I'm reviewing the data." I noticed that in most of my races, my power is significantly lower than in solo road efforts. For example, most of my races, I might average 175 average power with 210 normalized power for 45 minutes with a best ever number of 205 average power and 235 normalized power for 45 minutes on the road. I would regularly, regularly do 45 minute loops at around 245 average power, 285 normalized that were difficult, but less so than cross racing for me. And, and then he says, is it normal to have 70% available recorded power and cyclocross events? I understand that the power meter isn't capturing off the bike power, but I picked races with little running for my power examples. he says, if this isn't normal, is there anything in particular I should do or, or I should work on, or is it a matter of simply getting fitter? Well, it is clear from, a, from quadrant analysis that these events are quite different from a road ride. It is unclear if it is the low cadence or the extremely short anaerobic bursts or simply pacing and strategy at fault here. So, uh, and then he mentions that he's working through the base plan right now, and it's great, and he thinks so. So, good stuff. Um, we all see this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Keegan Swenson, a pro cyclocross rider, even he sees this. He had some issues with some uh, with a power meter, the data that he was using at first, that that were throwing things a little off. But yeah, he rocked my beliefs temporarily. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, it's normal to see much lower numbers in cyclocross. Uh, you can't compare them to what you're going to get, especially like you said, a solo road effort. So I'm assuming that's pretty darn consistent. So you can carry a really high average and you can even just get really close to riding right around threshold with cyclocross. You simply don't see that. And it's not just because of the running time, you don't realize how off on that power is you're constantly having to govern it. So I'm thinking about cyclocross nationals. The course that we had there, there were situations where it was going up a short little surge and then down that little surge, but it wasn't that steep. But the fact is the terrain that I was on made it so that I couldn't keep the power down all the way. Right. There's so many little interruptions throughout the course that it just really drops, it tanks that average. Mm-hmm. So I I personally don't even compare like the site I don't like look at that and think, oh man, it was only two eighty or two seventy normalized power while three ten during a crit. Yeah, we've something. all
2: seen our lowest numbers on cycle cross races. Yeah.
0: Yep. Lower it, than mountain biking, lower than everything. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then mountain biking is less than road. Yeah. yeah. And For I sure. say crits are usually higher, yeah, than mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah, depending
2: on the the nature of the crit. Yeah, because crits, in terms of
0: normalized power, normalized yes. power. Yeah, yes. what, what crits are normal.
2: variable. They uh, they afford a lot of opportunity to stay on the gas. Yeah. Yes, cyclocross racing, mountain bike. There's a lot of opportunity to to not not and, be and on the
0: requirement to not do it. Yeah, you know? I mean you can't yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah.
1: the cross race and the mountain bike race feels just as hard. Yeah. Yes. as the crit race, oh, but yeah. the power numbers don't, and we know that. Yeah. That's the way it is.
0: That's just the way it is. Yeah. And so I feel like, um, this is an example of where you just have to like have a separate grain of salt for your cross races and you analyze them in, in their own vacuum. The cross races, really. Exactly right. Separate yeah. from what you have with road stuff. So it's normal. Don't feel bad about it in this case, Kevin. Um, Well, that covers it for the questions that were submitted this week. Uh, You can do so. Remember everybody at trainerroad.com slash podcast. And once again, if you're with us on Facebook live, stick with us and we'll answer the questions that you've submitted. But for all those that are just here on the podcast, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.